Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete, and with me, as always, is Doug. Hello! And you can find us online on Twitter at CanucksSpeak. I'm also Pete underscore Gas. And on Twitter, I'm at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. We have lots to talk about today. Uh, we also have a preview of the Canucks Jets game coming up later in the week with our resident Jets fan, Corey Scott. He gives us a lot of insight into Tyler Myers, Dustin Bufflin, Patrick Laine, everything else Jets-related. Uh, but before we get into all that, we have a whole lot of stuff to talk about in a busy and successful week for the Canucks. Yeah, it was a it was a very good road trip to California, I thought, by the Canucks. Uh, we got five out of six points. Probably didn't even deserve to get that point in Anaheim, but we sneakily got that goal, and yeah, I'll take it. Five out of six points on any road trip is a success. I know that the Ducks and the Kings are kind of languishing in the, the basement of the conference, and that's where a lot of people thought they would be. But five out of six, it, it, there's so much parity in the league right now that it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a successful road trip. You got five of six, and as it sits right now, the Canucks are sitting with what is it like a nine nine three and two record? I believe. Yeah, look at us nine three and two. We're second in the division, and I mean third in the conference. We're 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 playing fantastic right now. This this is this is a lot being a lot of fun to watch. We're also tied with Boston for uh, goal differential with a plus nineteen. When with the goals as well, this is what I've found has been just so exciting. Is as I know a lot has been made about this five goals a game for seven of the fourteen games that we got. But I don't think anyone really expected it to be on this level, wouldn't you say? No, like, yeah, I think most people thought that the top line would produce, but the balanced scoring that we've been getting from the second line, the third line, and even the fourth line, the fourth line got a little bit cold, but, you know, they were there was a stretch where I think the fourth line had scored in four or five games there. Uh, and, yeah, we're second in goals for... Uh, for the entire league, just one behind Nashville. Nashville's got 54, we got 53. The team's looking great, and there's not much else you can really say except for, you know, you hope that they can keep it up as the schedule does get a little bit tougher heading into November. Is Brandon Sutter your biggest surprise in terms of offensive uh, output? Yeah, I mean, Schaller's got to be right there as well. Yeah. But I agree. Uh, here's a question for you. Uh, would you cash in on Sutter's value right now? He's playing at a high level. Well, you know, uh, back in August there, I was saying that the Canucks should try and shop Sutter and let him go. However, uh, I'm backtracking a little. You always entertain offers, especially for a guy like Sutter. You you always listen to what's out there. But he seems to really have a presence in this dressing room that uh, I either didn't really realize or just kind of chose to ignore. But there, there is something about him that... The, the staff and the players really seem to like. And this team has chemistry right now. And that's something you just, you can't put a price on chemistry. You, you always entertain offers, but I don't think you're, you're pushing them out the door like I was back in the August there. Yeah, like you always want to make your team better. If you can make a hockey trade that makes your team better, obviously you make that trade. I agree with you. As fans, we don't always see, you know, what happens in the dressing room and the players, the impact that players make with each other in the dressing room. You always heard this about Del Zotto, that Del Zotto was a very liked guy in the dressing room and guys like Besser and Tanev would hang out in Stetcher. They'd all hang out with Del Zotto quite a bit, probably doing, you know, watching him play his DJ sets or something like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Sutter to me, yes, I would have to say he's probably been the biggest surprise for me 
so far this year just in the fact that he's played healthy and he's made a difference and he's kind of that player that I think Benning was hoping he was acquiring what was it four or five years ago when we got Sutter yeah there's a lot of things right now at the team that are firing as you said and then this is something that we haven't had for a while. We have started to get bitten by the injury bug. I know I've said in the previous podcast that we've had the same starting six defensemen all season long, and that was going to change. We just didn't think it would be Quinn Hughes going down. Yeah, I think all of Canucks Nation lost their breath for a minute when Hughes went down. Luckily, it w- I shouldn't say luck. Well, no, thankfully, yeah, thankfully it wasn't an on-ice collision or anything like that. It was literally like he just went to cut and make an edge and his ankle seemingly rolled although i think they're officially calling it a a knee bruise but to me it looks like a high ankle sprain i'm not sure what a knee bruise is but i know he is skating uh i know sautner's also out now so it's either going to be hughes or fantenberg uh, getting his first game tomorrow against st louis by the way we're recording this before the game against st louis should have said that earlier yeah uh yeah the canucks did uh, recall uh fantenberg up from his conditioning stint. Obviously, Sautner got in there and then he got injured. Uh, was it against the Ducks, I believe it was? Or was it San Jose? Uh, it was the San Jose game. It was, it was Dylan who hit him. Dylan, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a shame because I thought Sautner looked okay. He, you know, he didn't look out of place out there. Obviously, he's no Quinn Hughes. And even though we got a goal uh, on the power play against the Sharks, the power play did not look the same without Hughes out there. Hughes has really quickly become the quarterback and just the straw that stirs that drink. It's really nice when he's out there and you've got Pedersen and Besser playing their natural sides now. It is a dangerous power play. And how good has PD been? NHL first star of the week this week with, uh, what was it? Nine points in four games. Nine points in four games. And that was including a game where I think he was held off the score sheet too. But he is... I said it before, he's quietly gaining momentum. He's quietly getting better. It's not so quiet anymore, I think. No, I mean, I've seen this narrative being spung by people on Twitter. Like, oh, all these people, you know, saying that, you know, Petey's having a slow start, all this stuff. I mean, look, I, I do think for the first few games of the year, he did look like he was clenching his stick a bit. The power play wasn't firing on all cylinders like they are now. And... Yeah, I don't think anyone didn't think Petey would eventually start producing and start, you know, still being that dynamic player that he was last year. But yeah, just this narrative like, oh, you know, we're all the haters on Petey now. I'm like, no one was hating. Nobody didn't think that he was going to, you know, kind of get it all together and start, you know, producing at the clip he is. I mean, right now, you know, he's, I believe, tied for sixth in the league in scoring. Yeah, he's tied for sixth. He's averaging an assist a game as well. He has nine power play points in 14 games. I think the reason that people were kind of saying a bit of that narrative was that he wasn't doing the electrifying PD stuff. He was just kind of quietly going about his business. But, you know, we talked about primary assists and how how many of those he's had. And just he is... He has had a few of those little dipsy dangles now as well. But I think people were waiting for... Those kind of explosive Patterson, they're like, oh, well, where is he? He's got 20 points in 14 games. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I mean, the whole line, Besser is up to 16 points in 14 games, and JT Miller has kind of cooled off a bit, I guess, point-wise. He's still been unbelievable on the ice, but I know there was that one game where uh, Besser had the hat trick and Petey had uh, three points as well, or four points, I think. And I think JT Miller, for whatever reason, just the way the puck was bouncing that night, he only ended up with one assist. 
But the team looks great, man. I mean, Horvat again just seems to produce with, you know, a myriad of wingers. Yeah. And uh, with that as well, it seems like Josh Levo has kind of moved down and has found a little bit of chemistry with Brandon Sutter. Yeah. Yeah, Levo, Sutter, uh, and then I know Vertanen's kind of bounced back and forth between the second line and the third line. Pearson has bounced back and forth as well. Obviously, with Furlan getting injured, uh, Gaudet got called up, and Gaudet's had a couple of games now back with the team, and I thought he's looked good. I believe he actually played the wing in the last game, and mm-hmm. I thought he looked really good. Well, they've been skating him in practice today on the wing with Horvat and Pearson, and that's kind of an interesting one. I like the Levo sutter vertanen combo. Uh, Erickson's still holding on to that fourth line spot. I'd really like to see Berchi get in there, but uh, but who knows? Um, Godet though, I think he's slowly pushing Erickson out of a job. I've, I've alluded to this before. We have guys on IR in Furland and Roussel who are going to need to create space for when they come back. It sounds like Roussel could be playing later this month. So what is a spell for Louis Erickson? He's hasn't really impressed me. Uh, I think Godet is already outplaying him again. I don't think that you can send Godet down now before Erickson. No, the other guy that looks like he's going to miss at least four to five weeks is Tyler Mott as right. well. Um, and that's kind of who Erickson slotted in for. But yeah, now that the Canucks have called up Berchi, I mean, you you can't play Berchi on your fourth line, in my opinion. He's got to be at least in the top nine. Uh, so then who slots down to the fourth line? Maybe Josh Levo. I think Vertanen deserves a long enough, a longer look on the top nine. So maybe, and I, I think Levo's played well, is played very well as well. But for me, yeah, I would like to see Berchi get in there. I think you keep Goddard in there. You take Erickson out and maybe you move Levo down to your fourth line. So you have a fourth line of Beagle, Levo, Schaller. And then your third line, you can mix it up however you want. You could have Goddard, Vertanen, and Sutter. And then maybe your second line is Horvat, Pearson, Berchi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 talked in the preseason love about Horvat, Pearson, Berchi, and we haven't seen that yet. No, um, I'm not against putting Berchi in the fourth line role, just because I'd really like to see him get in. If that's that's what it is, and it takes Erickson out right now, I'm okay with that. I think. Uh, just going back to the Furland injury, uh, I know there was a lot of talks when he initially got hurt that some people thought that he might have, you know hurt his hand by uh, punching, uh, I forget who he was fighting in, in the visor. Turns out that he's in per- concussion protocol. Uh, he's had concussions in the past. I know we want Furland to be that physical kind of, you know, powerhouse player out there. But, you know, what do you think, like, do you think he should be fighting anymore? You, I've, I've talked to quite a bit about fighting in the past. I, I think the league is... It's kind of hypocritical that it still allows fighting in the game. I understand that it's old-time hockey and hockey self-polices and all this, but when we're sending, giving suspensions to guys like Milan Lucic for sucker punching or guys for shoulders or elbows to the head, and yet we're still allowing guys to go out there and punch each other in the head, it seems like a bit archaic and kind of a bit old school now And with the way that the game is evolving. Uh, I, I don't think Furlan needs to fight to be effective. I don't think anyone on the team needs to do it. I think you you can have pushback, but you don't necessarily need to have your guys going out there and fighting. Um, I think with Furlan's concussion history, I, I don't think he should be fighting. Yeah, I agree. You know, there was a time when two guys would fight and it would rile up, you know, the team and you'd gain momentum, but that was literally a nothing fight. It was a face-off in the offensive zone. Like, Canucks were in, I believe, L.A. zone, 
There was nothing happening. They just dropped the gloves. I think it was within the first period as well. Maybe the Canucks had a one nothing lead at that time. So it wasn't like, you know, LA's trying to start a fight to get back in the game because they were being blown out 3 nothing at that point. And yeah, it was just a nothing fight. And now a guy who looked like he was slowly kind of getting his game back, he was becoming more and more of a contributor to the Canucks, is now out for who knows how long. Yeah, I mean, it's indefinite, really. And Freeland was finding his game. He got off to a slow start, wasn't really finding his groove last few games. I thought he played well. His ice time was going up. He was he was definitely more noticeable. Got a couple points on the play. He was up to five on the season, I think. Um, and now who knows? And now you got Freeland and Roussel, who both play uh, kind of a similar game in a lot of aspects on IR. And at least you kind of have more of a timetable with Roussel and when he's coming back. But Furland now... Who knows? Yeah, I believe Rossell is a knee injury, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Not yeah, exactly. But That's still. I mean. It's more, it's, you can kind of at least, you know what to expect a bit more. It's, with Ferlin now, geez, who knows? He could be out uh, very long term. Yeah, well, obviously, last year with what happened with Berchi as well, right? Where Berchi, he was on the road trip. He, for whatever reason, you know, I think he got hit and then he left the road trip. I believe he played one or two games and then. He just wasn't feeling it, and they sent him back to Vancouver, and they pretty much shut him down for the year. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I, I will say, if Ferland and Roussel are able to come back, get some legs, and be healthy, those are exactly the type of players you want for a playoff run. Yeah, I agree. But then, who comes out of the lineup? It's a good problem to have, but I'll take that problem. Yeah. Right? I'll, I'd rather have that problem. Eventually, you may run into some situations where you have to put a guy on waivers to go down, and that might be where you have to shuffle Godet back down again just because of roster management. However, this is a great problem to have, is is if you can have these guys come back and they're healthy and be effective in a playoff run, that's that's exactly what those guys are here for. Well, and the one thing we're hearing this year is depth, right? We've got depth now. And I think, yeah, having this problem, like you said, is a good problem to have, that if you do get an injury come playoff time, which every team does get, You've got guys that can easily slot in and play that hard-nosed, kind of tough-to-play-against hockey, and you're not going to miss a beat, in theory. Yeah, even down on the comments right now, you still got guys who are playing well, and the depth is is still there, even with uh, Berchi up with the big club, who's tied for second in scoring. Cole Lind is still playing great down there, and Goldobin, and good old vet Reed Boucher. The Comets uh, are 8-2 and two now. They've taken a, taken a couple of losses, but there's still a lot of depth down there that we can also call upon it's it's not the end of the world to have to be able to juggle your assets a little bit and it's a problem we haven't had in a long time we still only have i think it's a 20 what is it 21 skaters we've had so far play this year which is which is pretty low overall yeah it's 21 skaters that we've had uh through 14 games that's pretty good for a team that previous years of geez i i i can remember years where we had like 15 16 different defensemen play yeah we were a walking infirmary it seemed like you know <laughs> Sutter and Beagle kind of went down roughly around the same time and that's actually something else that uh Horvat said um I don't know if you caught the comments Pete but uh Horvat was saying that he feels like he plays his best when he's playing between 20 to 22 minutes a game hmm. and last year obviously when Beagle went down and Sutter went down Horvat was still, I mean, Horvat still produced, but he was being way overplayed. He was out there on all the penalty killing situations, taking all the big faceoffs, and I think he just kind of wore down a little bit as the season went on. And Horvat, I, b- I believe it was either yesterday or today, made comments that he feels like he's he plays his best and his game's at the best when he's playing between 20 to 22 minutes a game. 
Horvitz averaging uh, the highest amount of ice time for forwards right now, uh, just under 19. So that's a nice spot for him to be at this stage of the season. Fifth on the team in average ice time per game as well. So he is. It, it's good to be able to manage this. And I, I've noticed this a bit too, is even at the home games, is uh, the Canucks will put out the Beagle line a lot more in defensive situations and use that fourth line. And it's, it's a little thing, but it does take a load off when you have a guy like Jay Beagle playing 12 minutes a game. It, it, it helps relieve some of the pressure, and it also allows you to use Bo Horvat on the first unit power play. Yeah, I've, I've noticed Green has actually been doing um, some line matching and kind of putting Beagle's line out there against uh, whatever the team's top line is when he can get that last change. Um, obviously, when you're on the road, uh, the home coach has the option for last change so they can kind of play the matchup to their advantage. Do you like that? Do you like doing that? Or do you think then it's, you see too much of a guys like Beagle and Schaller and, and Erickson at the moment and not enough of the top lines? Or, or do you think this is a, a good thing right now at this time of the year? I mean, I hate to sound cliche, but I, I think it, it it's game script. Depending on how the game's going, depending on what it is. I mean, I guess if you've got a lead, if you're up three goals and you're trying to protect the lead, then yeah, I could, who cares? You're, you've got a three you know, a three-goal lead. You're trying to secure the two points. So, yeah, if Beagle's ice time spikes because you're just trying to keep, you know, the top pl- the top line of the opposing team's line in check, then, yeah, I don't mind it. My fantasy team probably doesn't love it. Yeah, no kidding. But it is a there is a lot of load management. We saw Pedersen slow down as the season went on. This is really the first time that Besser has come into camp and having a being healthy right out of the gate. We haven't seen a Brock Besser like this. Load management, I think, at this time of year is really important. We've got our big four guys up front, if you include Miller in there, all averaging right around the same amount of ice time. They're within 30 seconds of each other, between 18 and 19 minutes. And that really helps when you can spread that from the first line down to the second line, I feel. And I'm okay with it right now. Whether you're going down the stretch, you have to do that as much. If if Pedersen is fresher down the stretch, just from taking a couple minutes left a game right now, hey, I'll take it. The guy's still putting up ridiculous points per 60 numbers. Yeah, I I would say that I thought Besser's rookie year, he he kind of came in guns a-blazing. I know they were talk, they were calling uh, during that year, they were calling it Brocktober. Um, but uh, it feels different this year. Though. I he agree. Feels, he feels different. He's leading the team in goals, and that's exactly what we wanted from Brock Besser. He's the sniper. He's the guy who's supposed to be scoring goals. He's got nice balance out there. And this Pedersen-Besser thing, this... Of course, with Miller, the lotto line, it's uh, it's a legit first line, which is something we haven't seen since the peak of the Sedins. No, and the line keeps producing. And the other thing, because, and we're seeing it more and more, but because Pedersen is so adept defensively, they're not a line that costs you goals against either. You know, they're they're out there, and Pedersen is unbelievably back checking. Besser's not the greatest, you know, two way defensive player, but he's solid enough and Miller I think is fairly solid with his two-way game as well so it's nice that you have a, a top line like the lotto line that can produce as well as they're producing but still not cost you defensively like a lot of top lines do across the league yeah no it's uh it's definitely true I wanted to talk a little bit about it as well about some of our guys who are just uh kind of quietly getting it done on the back end and that's Jordy Ben and Chris Tanev and They've, they've very quietly, I think, had, had strong starts to the year. They're the top two guys on the team in plus-minus as well. You, you, know, you take that for a grain of salt with whatever it is. 
But have you noticed much from those guys and and what they've been doing out there? Well, or have you not? Which is also a good thing with players. Well, like I was going to say with Jordy Ben, I don't really always notice him, and that's not a bad thing, right? He's a guy that's obviously he's not hurting you. You're not noticing his you know defensive lapses or bad giveaways or anything like that. Tanov, I've noticed a lot more, but I think that's also because he's been playing with Hughes. And, you know, Hughes is even, like, almost kind of like... I know Tanov's only got the one goal, but, I mean... I don't know, Tanov seems to be a little bit more adept offensively than years past. And I think a lot of that's just how much Hughes opens the ice up for everybody he plays with. Yeah, it's it's really true. I mean, geez, I hope we, uh, I hope we get Hughes back here soon. But what, what Hughes has been doing is... It's just unbelievable. He has made uh, Chris Tanev and everyone around him better players. He really has. And that's what good players do. And that's what Pedersen is, does too, is he takes the guys around him and makes them better. And the Twins were fantastic for that. I mean, how many guys played with the Twins and Anson Cartered it and uh, were able to cash in on it? Like, it? Good players make players around them better. And uh, it's what Quinton Hughes and Pedersen and these guys are doing is allowing guys like Chris Tanev and and JT Miller to be even better than they already were. Yeah. Uh, are you a little concerned with uh, Tyler Myers' point total? He's only got four assists in the 14 games. I know he was kind of billed as, you know, a solid offensive guy, probably not the greatest defensively, bit of a liability in the back on his own end, but he's only got four assists to start the year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, besides uh, really a one game or so there, I don't think Myers is really being a liability to us. I think he's being a useful player. Uh, at least the, this is kind of from the old eye test. It's it, I'm not terribly concerned about it. I, I, I'd like to see him I mean, get a get a couple more points here and there. I mean, he's he should be a 30, 35-point defenseman, I'd say at least, but not terribly concerned. He's passing the eye test right now, and that's uh, that's what I think is, is most important. Yeah, like, he's had a couple of struggles at times, you know, clearing the puck out of, the, out of his own zone, and he's had a couple of bad giveaways, but... I just, yeah, and again, the amount of times, like, I'm about to get into an argument with someone on Twitter, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to delete this. I don't care. It's not even worth my time. But the amount of people that, like, as soon as Myers makes one little gaffe in a game, people are all over him. Like, oh, this guy's garbage. What are we doing? I'm like, overall, I think he's played very well. I think he's he's tried to mitigate some of the mistakes he makes, and he's been a lot more kind of self-conscious about just jumping up in the rush and, you know, getting out of position and, you know, trying to take his time to make some of those passes when he's breaking out of his own zone. And yeah, he's made a couple of mistakes here and there. So has Tanev. So is Quinn Hughes. So has Alex Edler. So one thing with Myers is he is fifth on the team in Fenwick 4 percentage at even strength and Corsi even strength percentage. So what that means is he's generating more chances than he's allowing. The only guys ahead of him on the team in those are Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, and Miller. So he is quietly being effective out there. If you look at some of his advanced stats, he's getting some second unit power play time. It's it's not. I, I'm not unhappy with with Tyler Myers at this point. No, I think he's I think he's being useful and he's easy to spot out there. He's a big boy. I agree. Well, I think there's certain fans like to cherry pick certain stats whether it's positively or negatively. And I think that's what's happening here. People are just cherry picking the negatives and not looking at some of the more like analytical stats like you're saying about his Fenwick. Do you think that uh, overall right now, I feel that there's, with, with, with the negativity with the team, there's been a, it feels like there's a bit of a shift. It's, it's winning does that, but do you feel that there's a bit of a shift in the fan base with how they're reacting to this team? 
I mean, maybe you and I don't follow the same crowd on Twitter completely, <laughs> but uh, there is a crowd out there. It's almost like the, I don't know if it's like Stockholm Syndrome or it's almost, or like some of the fans of Howard Stern where they absolutely despise Howard Stern, but they want to see what he's going to say next. So there's a certain demographic that I follow that are quite negative. And I guess the only thing you can say about it is that a lot of people don't think the Canucks have had a seriously tough schedule to date. That they've they've had a relatively easy schedule. They've got to beat up on LA twice. Uh, they've beat up on Detroit twice, which inf- which has obviously inflated some of their goals for and some of the stats. Um, but it's hard not to be optimistic or to be happy moving forward. And I do think overall the fan base is more positive. And I, I even some of the negative fans out there, you know, I guess we'll call them the bitter bros or whatever people are want to associate the names with. I, I have seen a couple of those guys, you know, trying to try to be a little bit more positive about their takes on the Canucks and, you know, give credit where credit's due. And I mean, these are also the same people who are trying to call out, you know, some of the fans that were saying Pedersen wasn't having, you know, a great start to the season. You know, we're talking maybe the first three games Pedersen looked a little bit off his game and shortly thereafter he you know hit his stride and he's been arguably one of the best players in the NHL in for the last three weeks yeah I I completely agree with that uh just switching over to the one kind of area we haven't really talked about which is the crease and I just wanted to especially touch on Thatcher Demko and what he's been quietly doing in the the Canucks net I I think he's been fantastic I mean Five starts now. His goals against is below two, and his save percentage is approaching 940. Both of those are, are fantastic at any time of year, but for a guy like Demko, who really needed a strong start, what do you think this does for the team moving forward, knowing that it now looks like you have a very reliable backup option to Jacob Markstrom? I think this is the biggest decision that this management group is going to have in the next three years, and that's what you do with Markstrom at the end of this year and what you do with Demko. Because depending on how Markstrom's next contract is written, and if the Canucks end up re-signing him, he could have some clause in there where he can't be exposed during the expansion draft. And the way both these goalies are playing now, you're going to lose one of them to the expansion draft. Now, maybe you could trade Demko prior to the expansion draft and try to get something for him. That's always a possibility. But I definitely think this is going to be the biggest decision the Canucks have moving forward. What do you do? I mean, it's a good problem to have, but how do you manage this problem and try to gain the most amount of assets instead of losing one of these guys for nothing? Do you think there's still a market for goalies, in turn, like a trade market for goalies? I mean, I think so. Uh, Edmonton, in my opinion, desperately still needs a goalie. Whether the Canucks are going to trade one of their young goalies to Edmonton, I know back in the day when Schneider got traded, the rumors were that the Oilers had offered more than what the Devils ended up giving up to acquire Schneider, but because it was in division, Gillis didn't want to make that trade. Definitely the Oilers need a goalie. Columbus obviously lost their goalie, so I think they they could use a goalie. I don't know if the value is there trade-wise where you can really cash in on that, but there's enough teams out there in my opinion. I mean, I think a good young and upcoming team is the Carolina Hurricanes, and I still think they have questions in goal. Yeah, I think um, right now, this season, this is, 
this is perfect right now is having Marks from and Demko, having them both play well. I don't know what you do moving forward, and I don't think we have to answer that just yet. I just think at this moment in time, though, this is a it's a very pleasant, not surprise, but it's a very pleasant feeling to have a good option to help with Markstrom. And again, it's uh, it's just to be solid in between the pipes. You got Di Pietro down in the minors mm-hmm. too, and he's he's another guy who a couple years away could could be an impact. But right now, just having Demko in there, and you've seen a nine five split in games. Uh, which is which is nice. It's uh, that's kind of where you want it. We ca- always talk about fifty thirty, uh, and right now that's a, that's not far out of line from what we would see. And whether Markstrom is the guy going down the stretch or whether it's Demko, I, I think you have two really good options right now. Yeah, like I said, my thing is I just think that the Canucks are going to be forced to make a decision sooner than they'd like. I think they wish they had Markey under contract for at least one more year. Where I feel like this year they're kind of forced to either believe Demko's the real guy moving forward and he can handle the load next year as their number one goalie, or you re-up Markstrom and you figure out what how to navigate the upcoming um, Seattle expansion draft. Maybe you just sign Markstrom for a one-year deal. Maybe he goes for that, a high-end one-year deal, or maybe even a high-end two-year deal that takes him through the expansion draft, but the salary cap is high enough that Seattle doesn't want to touch him. Remember, if you lose marks from in an expansion draft, that means you're not losing anybody else. Yeah, no, that's true. And like you said, I mean, I my theory is this is kind of Markstrom's last chance to kind of cash in on a big long-term contract. So I don't see him wanting to sign a two-year deal, but he could. I mean, if, if you can get him for a deal sort of like what Edler just signed with the Canucks, where you can sign him for a two-year deal or and, you know, pay a higher annual salary and not have to worry about protecting him uh, come the expansion draft. But, yeah, I just... It's a very good problem to have, but I just think it's a decision the Canucks are going to have to figure out what to do sooner rather than later. I don't think it's out of the question that they can be together long term. I think right now, though, uh, I think we, we just have to enjoy the tandem that we have. It's it's great to see Thatcher Demko playing the way he's playing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Demko, I remember that year we got him in the second round, and he by a lot of people, he was considered to be the best goalie in that draft, at least heading into the draft, a lot of people had him as their number one. And I was really shocked that the Canucks were able to grab him in the second round. And yeah, I was very excited. And I'm very excited for the way he's playing. He's one of those guys that even if he lets in a bit of a soft goal, it never bothers him. He just kind of, you know, puts that goal behind him and, you know, continues to be solid shutting the door. Yeah, it's 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 been great to see. Uh, last, Just kind of one of our last things here before we switch over to the interview with Corey here. What do you think of, you mentioned Carolina before, team like that? I mean, I love it. Uh, it, it I think this team, I think they're they're already pretty tight in the locker room, and I think they, they've got a good bond because they're, they've all kind of grown up with each other, right? It's a young core now, essentially. You know, Hughes joined the team this year. Demko's kind of been up and down with the team for the past couple of years. And these kids, again, they've been going to these rookie summer camps for however many years together. So you're kind of seeing that, team building and that bond kind of happening and I think they believe in themselves that they're ready to take the next step and I think you know obviously the Dowdy comments fired them up I mean Horvat after that game was asked oh did you hear about Dowdy's comments and he's like you better believe we did if it's out there on social media we're gonna someone's gonna find it and show it to us and yeah it definitely fired us up yeah it's great I, I like it too it's nice to have kind of a rallying cry I think this team needs something like that. Helps keep them focused as well, and gives them some gives them more of an identity. And 
just, I think, makes them even more of an entertaining team to watch. They're, so far, 14 games in, we're a very entertaining team to watch. Uh, and we are going into, as we've talked about before, we're going into a tough stretch of games now. Uh, we got the Blues, and we got the Blackhawks, and we got the Jets coming up this week. And should, with that in mind, should we get uh, in, on with the interview with Corey here and talk a little bit of Winnipeg hockey? I guess if we have to. <laughs> hey, former home of the Moose as well, right? We do have some Canucks connections over there. That's true. I guess. Well, let's let's get into a little bit of a preview here. Canucks Jets on Friday night. Joining us now from Victoria, BC, we have our resident Jets fan and artist extraordinaire, Corey Scott. Corey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, Pete. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, also, you can find Corey's work at Corey Scott Gallery on Instagram. He's originally a Manitoba prairie boy from Brandon, following the Jets all these years, our old rivals in the Smythe division. And we wanted to just kind of get you going here, Corey, though, with talking about a guy who's not playing for the Jets anymore in Tyler Myers. There's a lot of uproar in Vancouver when the Canucks signed him this year. What was Tyler Myers with the Jets? What was his time like? How is he remembered in Winnipeg? You know, I think on the whole, Tyler Myers' time in Winnipeg was generally received pretty well by Jets fans. Um, his role was probably a little bit different than it is or will be in Vancouver. In Winnipeg, really, he was probably only counted on to play about a number four defenseman, and number three at best. Um, I think he was in Winnipeg. It must have been about four years altogether. Uh, he was about in Winnipeg as a number four defenseman, a 30-35 point guy. Uh, certainly plays in all situations, uh, penalty, kill, power play. You know, he can hit, and and best of all, he's really just a very mobile, puck-moving defenseman, which uh, should play probably pretty well, I think, in Vancouver with uh, the new kind of rebuild that's starting to come to fruition over there. With uh, another defenseman who's currently absent on the team is Dustin Bufflin, and he's been making a lot of headlines this week and well really since the season started what what exactly is the situation with Dustin Bufflin what is happening with him oh the situation with Dustin Bufflin is that it has just gone to ugly I don't think there's any better way to put it at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of the season when it was announced that he was contemplating retirement and starting to sit out I think most people uh Jets fans apparently Jets management as well judging from the comments made by Kevin Day off in the offseason, that generally speaking, it was a very sympathetic kind of situation towards Dustin Bufflin. He was clearly having some lingering health problems. Frankly, he's got a very much a good guy image. I mean, seems like an absolutely lovable kind of fella. So I think he was really given the benefit of the doubt. But that seems, uh, just in the past couple of days, really has come crashing down entirely. Elliot Friedman on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada reported that the Jets believe that Dustin Bufflin's ankle, which was set about a couple of times last season, limited Bufflin to only 42 games. The feeling was that when he left, when the season ended last year and he did his end-of-season exit physicals in April, that Dustin Bufflin was at that point healthy, which would presume to mean that he was healthy throughout the offseason. Now, where things start to get contentious is in September, according to Dustin Bufflin's camp, Dustin started, basically took the summer off just to let his ankle heal a bit longer. 
and then a couple days before training camp decided to start skating and instantly experienced uh, a flare-up of his ankle and suddenly the Jets or Bufflin's camp is suddenly suggesting that Bufflin's ankle never fully recovered. Winnipeg, again, at this point, effectively just gave him the benefit of the doubt, but I think where things really got ugly and where it's been recently reported as of Saturday night by Elliot Friedman was that when Dustin Bufflin went ahead and had his ankle surgery, there is a sense that there might have been something hiding there, and suddenly now both sides have really kind of come apart at the seams, or at the seams. Elliot Friedman called the situation emotional and heated between the two sides at this point. And I think it really stems down to the fact that, look, if Dustin Bufflin hurt his ankle legitimately, as he claims, then, of course, why did he rush off against the wishes of Jets training staff, Jets team doctors, and go and get that ankle surgery? I think the feeling was in Winnipeg that they, the Jets wanted a chance to be able to do kind of their own kind of testings on Dustin Bufflin, see exactly where his ankle was at and exactly what's wrong with it. So I think the idea that he went ahead and had that surgery anyways suggests that he might have been trying to hide something. And based on what's on the line, which is frankly quite a lot, this becomes a really big deal. And I think it becomes a big deal in Winnipeg for two reasons. First of all, Jets fans, Jets management, everyone associated with the team is frightened of these kind of situations. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about players who don't want to go to Winnipeg. The team is generally the highest on every player's no-trade list. And to have a public dispute or a follow with one of your star players, of course, plays a really, really ugly and is a, a very scary scenario for for anyone associated with the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, no, I was just going to jump in okay. there really quickly, Corey, and uh, say, yeah, there's also been... Uh... <clears throat> talk or rumors about potential arbitration hearing happening or an arbiter getting involved and uh, this is news to me you so also according to you you said that the Jets uh, medical staff never actually got to examine Bufflin's ankle I better be careful on saying that I don't know that is that last part about the Jets training staff not having a chance to actually check Bufflin's ankle that's purely conjecture um, that would be kind of the bitter Winnipeg Jets fans point of view of this as to, again, why did Bufflin go against Jets team doctor's advice and get this done, just in the suggestion of hiding something. But by no means has that been uh, confirmed by any, by any hockey insider sources. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, about the, I heard rumblings about an arbitration hearing or uh, some kind of so uh, dispute. Apparently, the idea here is that you will literally just have both sides, Dustin Bufflin's camp and the doctor and surgeon that he used, as well as representatives from the Winnipeg Jets, go before an independent arbitrator to decide what the state of Dustin Bufflin's ankle is and was before he had the surgery. So, frankly, it's a little bit mystifying to myself. I've never heard of such a situation that I can think of in the NHL recently. I think of maybe Jake Dobchin with, was it Anaheim this past season? When he got bought out pretty much immediately, it was Tampa Bay that Jake Dotchin had his incident with, where he came to sh- training camp out of shape, and the Tampa Bay team doctors, I believe, refused to let him play um, and use that as an opportunity to to effectively void his contract. Do you think that's what uh, Jets management might be trying to do with this, is maybe try to get out of Bufflin's big uh, big ticket? I think there's a possibility of that. 
Um, that could be one way to do it, but I don't, I would be surprised. Uh, at the end of the day, again, I think the image problem that the Winnipeg Jets have is such a dominant theme. Anytime, if you pick up the Winnipeg Sun or the Winnipeg Free Press, any of the Jets blogs out there, fans are just scared, petrified of these kind of situations, of things like a Patrick Line, a holdout uh, that was looming this year. Everyone seemed to have confidence that Connor would sign, but Line seemed to be the one that, that maybe was hitting on the fence a lot more. So I think I'd be really surprised if that was the case for the Winnipeg Jets. I, though there's no doubt that the team would like clarity and could desperately use Buffalo's cap hit right now to be able to get some help on defense because obviously that blue line is absolutely decimated right now. So with, uh, with Bufflin as well, he's a 7.6 million cap hit, I think, for the next couple of years. But you guys also have a pretty good value cap hit in a guy that you acquired in the offseason in Neil Pionk. And he's been a pretty good revelation for the Jets so far this year, wouldn't you say? Pionk definitely has, and thank goodness. Let me tell you that because it was an, obviously an absolutely nightmare season. And really, in many ways, the fact that uh, we're here today talking about Buffalo and Tyler Myers and Neil Pionk really kind of says it all, because the story this year for the Winnipeg Jets has, of course, been off the ice. Fortunately, Neil Pionk has helped ease a lot of those concerns on the ice since he's been over. I think not only Jets fans, but most players in the, or in most people who follow the league really don't know a lot about Neil Pionk. At the end of the day, they only had one full season last year in New York, where he put up 26 points in 73 games for a very depleted Rangers squad. Um, since he's been to Winnipeg, the results so far, at least early going, have been extremely positive. Now, obviously, his role is probably even bigger this year on Winnipeg than it was last year in New York. He's got nine points in 15 games. The Jets have depended on him to play in all situations. He's currently a plus seven, whatever you want to make of that stat on the team. You get 23 minutes uh, time on ice. And what I think is most impressive, just in terms of the the good old fashions, you know, how does he look out there on the ice? He looks like a guy who really wants to be involved in the play and who really makes a point to make himself noticeable every shift that he's on the ice. So thank goodness is all I can say between at least, you know, while he's known Jacob Truba, of course, uh, getting him back along with their first-round pick from this year, Ville Hinola, who, of course, has already played eight games with the Jets and, and had a, really been a terrific revelation so far. He's really helped the Jets the start at least the process of recovering and, and trying to get back some quality players. So with, uh, with Pionk as well, he actually leads the Jets in total ice time among skaters. He has the most ice time played. What is this, the deal with Vili Heinola? Because I wanted to ask about him. He, was, he got off to a really hot start there, and then I believe the Jets sent him down. What's kind of the plan with him right now? I think the plan with Hainola is really long-term. I mean, on the one hand, it was really encouraging, of course, given our defense situation at the moment, to have a player like Hainola come in. Uh, I was really fortunate to be able to watch uh, every game, actually, that Hainola played last year at the World Juniors. Of course, the tournament was held between Victoria and Vancouver, and Team Finland was in the Victoria side of the round robin, and then I went over as well to Vancouver to watch the medal games and the, and the semifinals. Literally got to see Hinola play all eight games I think they played on the tournament. Um, 
he looks good. He seems to have reasonable enough upside. I think there's a lot to be excited about, and certainly when he can step in to a training camp and impress. And he's played only those eight games so far for the Jets this year. He put up five points in those games. But at the end of the day, you don't want your 22nd overall pick to an 18-year-old who's never even played on North American ice really before, probably before last year's World Junior Tournament. You don't want him to be up there. You know, this isn't the Edmonton Oilers. We don't need to start that kind of thing in Winnipeg. And Winnipeg has been really good so far about really kind of cuddling their or coddling their prospects along. And Hainola, at this point, he's down in the AHL. I'm hoping that he'll stay there to get used to the North American ice. As far as I know, that still is the plan with him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be going back to Finland anytime soon. Um, so obviously going into this season, I think some of the biggest concerns for the Winnipeg Jets was their defense. Obviously losing Truba, losing Myers, having um, Bufflin kind of hold out like he is. But let's switch over to some of the forwards. And a guy that didn't end the year too great last year for Winnipeg, but he did have a solid playoff, was Patrick Laine. How's Laine look so far? I mean, he's second, tied for second on the team scoring, but he only has three goals. Patrick Laine, in his first three years in Winnipeg, I think he's one of those players that really goes to show that it's as much about, in the NHL, your skill level as it is the situation that, yourself, that you find yourself in. In the case of Patrick Laine, through his first three seasons in the league, he did manage to score at least 30 goals in, in every year, 44 in his second year, of course. The problem with Patrick Laine in the past was always that he was just a very raw kind of rookie kind of player. I mean, on the one hand, of course, he's got that great shot. Uh, his ability to control the puck, his hand-eye coordination is absolutely through the roof. Um, but on the flip side, Patrick Line and his turnovers, his offensive work, uh, frankly, he's not the fastest guy you're going to find out there. His really poor decision-making made him a really kind of a weird fit for the Winnipeg Jets, I think, in the first three years. They had him on the top power play unit, and on the one hand, he scored most of his goals from the top of the face-off circle off one-timers. On the other hand, he was probably the reason most times that the, the Jets would lose the puck or turn over the puck on the power play. So in the past few years, it's been really a little bit difficult to evaluate Liney because the team was depending on him, quite a competitive team, and they were uh, depending on him so strongly. This year, he's clearly got a, a prove it or a show-me kind of contract here. He's only got two years to really show what he can do before he presumably gets his big payout. And on the one hand, he's certainly playing like it. He's playing like a, a guy who, who likes to be in the spotlight and wants to show everyone exactly what he's capable of. I think on the other hand, though, the situation might be a little bit better on the team itself for Line A. And the reason is, is because of the depleted defensive squad that the expectations on this year's Winnipeg Jets are just so much lower. It's not when we make the playoffs, it's a big if we make the playoffs at this point. And that in some ways kind of benefits Line. It allows a lot of the heat to be taken off him. All those turnovers and little defensive miscues that he's made in the past three years are no longer just quite as, as uh, touchy for Jets fans. No longer quite as annoying, I suppose. And so I think this year he'll probably be given a much better chance to just develop at his own pace to play. Certainly they're starting to showcase him a little bit anyways with Shifley and, and Blake Wheeler. And I think that at the end of the day, he is a guy that is going to get a lot better. I think for all the talk about his shot, there are so many 
positive facets to his game. He's just going to be a guy who's going to take a while to put together. And I think for the expectations that come along with being a second overall draft pick, for the case of someone like Patrick Laine, he's not going to be someone who, even though he stepped into the league as a rookie and scored 36 goals in 44 his second year, he's not had a breakout season. He likely is still two or three years away from really having a breakout season. Uh, typically, larger players do take, you know, taller fellas as well as smaller players tend to take a lot longer in the NHL to develop. And I think Lani is no exception. The only reason that he even gets the attention that he does is because of that phenomenal shot. You take that away and he's just another fella from Europe trying to come over, adapt to the North American game, learn how to play defensive NHL, responsible kind of hockey. Um, and hopefully now Patrick Laine has found himself in a situation where he'll be able to, to do that a little more smoothly than probably in his first few years. You mentioned before about the Jets and being a if they're a playoff team, which is certainly a new kind of cry out of Winnipeg over the last couple of years as they've been pretty much a shoe-in to get through that tricky central division. But as everyone knows, they've taken a step back on the blue line. They still have a lot of offensive weapons. When I look at the Jets roster right now, they've already dressed 25 different skaters. They've got a lot of different kind of pieces coming in and out right now. So I guess our final question for you is, who are the Winnipeg Jets right now? That's probably a really good question. Uh, um, At the end of the day, the Jets are still a young, fast team that's looking to put it all together. For all the minuses on the Winnipeg Jets that obviously the players we lost in the offseason – there's still a reminder that, you know what, this year Kyle Connor is probably going to get a little bit better. Mark Scheifele is still improving as a player. So is Patrick Laine. So is Nikolai Ehlers. Frankly, you can kind of go all the way down the lineup if you look at Kopp and Lowry and Roslevic. There's still so many players that have a lot of development to do on this team. So there's still, I think, a fairly sunny disposition long-term but short-term, the Jets probably do need to decide what kind of team they are, particularly in the absence of Dustin Bufflin. There is no one that casts a bigger shadow on this team, and obviously really such a unique player by any standards for any team in the NHL. And without Dustin Bufflin, the Winnipeg Jets are really going to need to find a way to become a lot grittier of a franchise. They're going to need to find a way to scare teams a little bit because at the end of the day, they can't just outscore their way out of out of every situation they find themselves in. They're going to need to be a, a very defensively responsible five-man unit back kind of team. And that's really going to be their only hope, I think, for success moving forward. And just really quickly, one final thought here. Is Paul Maurice the coach moving forward for this team? I think that he's probably definitely going to be the coach of this team moving forward. I don't see any real fears of job security for Paul Maurice. He's great with the young players. He's one of those coaches that shows he's got a lot of different bags of tricks or a lot of different tricks in his bag sort of thing. Uh, you look at some coaches that don't know how to do a lot more than, than really yell at players or maybe some coaches are only defensive specialists no matter what kind of roster they're given. I think Paul Maurice really has the ability to adapt to the lineup that he's given and has the ability to, frankly, poach his way out of some situations. I don't see the Jets. It's a franchise that's really shown a a desire for stability. Um, They haven't obviously made a lot of trades, haven't had a lot of player turnover. Most of the players on the team they've drafted and kept in-house. I think that's a plan moving forward, and I see Paul Maurice as that man. 
Good stuff, Corey. Hey, thanks for joining us. And real quickly, could you tell people where in the Victoria area they can find your artwork and online? We don't normally plug art, but uh, hey, man, you're a good artist and you're a, you're a loyal Jets fan. We love having you on here. Uh, so just quickly give yourself a little plug and get, get people uh, getting you some likes there. All right. Well, thanks, Doug and Pete. I'll take you up on that. Uh, my name's Corey Scott. I run on Instagram and Facebook at Corey Scott Gallery. You can find my work locally in Victoria at Coast Collective Art or Coast Collective Gallery in Colwood and should be coming soon to a new gallery in Oak Bay. I'll leave that under wraps until that actually happens. And again, fellas, it's been a pleasure and thank you very much for having me. I think we just did our service for the arts community there, eh, Doug? No worries. And yeah, thank you, Corey. And I'm looking forward to our head-to-head -head matchup week 11 in our fantasy football league as well. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it too, Doug. He's lying. I don't think he's looking forward to it at all. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm frightened that my team is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thanks, Corey. And uh, we'll see you soon, man. All right. Take care, fellas. All right. We'll see ya. All right, it's free pour time, and we're going a little dry this month. No, no whiskey this month. I mean, we're taking a little breather, eh? Yeah, I mean, Christmas is coming up, so I always feel like I do a little bit more excessive drinking than usual, so uh, we're having a dry November. Yeah, dry until the rum and eggnogs kick in. So, let's get right into this. And I wanted to talk, first of all, uh, about the Canada-Russia series going on right now. I always get a kick out of this series every year. I think it's a neat format. It's a nice tune-up for the World Juniors. Uh, and Canada, or sorry, the Canucks have a few people playing on the Canadian teams. And, of course, the big boy playing on Russia is Pot Colson. And uh, it's a great opportunity for everyone to get to see him on the national stage. We've got Fockton Wu from the Hitmen playing the two games in the dub. Unfortunately, the dub games aren't coming anywhere near here. I think Prince Albert's the closest where they are. But this is a great opportunity to get to see Pod Colson on the big stage. He's wearing an A for the club as well. Uh, that's what I'm really excited about. I think it's a great little tournament going on over the next week and a half, two weeks or so. Go on, watch it. It's it's some great hockey. Did you just swear at me? Did you just say fucked woo? Fucked woo. The hitmen, uh, hit love it. Uh, I wanted to quickly touch on some amazing news that came out uh, late last week. I believe it was Friday. And that is Rage Against the Machine are reuniting to do a handful of shows. At least that's all that they've confirmed so far. I believe it's five shows, including headlining Coachella. Um, Pete and I have already discussed about maybe taking a road trip down to Arizona to go see them. If not, we can get tickets. If we can get tickets. I'm not really down to go to Coachella. But uh, yeah, man, obviously a seminal band from my youth. Uh, never had the chance to see them. So I think myself and a whole generation around my age are unbelievably happy that they're doing some more shows. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope they come up here, man. But if not, we, we got to go down to Phoenix or something and do what we can. All right, so that wraps up episode 12 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Uh, another thing I'd like to just shout out there to all the listeners, uh, we've created a Spotify account, um, and what we've done is we've created our outro playlist, and it's going to be an ever-growing playlist. Obviously, as soon as an episode's done, we'll add that song to the playlist. There's only one song I wasn't able to add to the playlist, and that's from episode 9, Porridge Legs. It's a song called... 
Jimmy Entley sound, and the song is called Charlie's Theme. So unfortunately, I can't get that song on the playlist. But yeah, give us a follow on Spotify, Canuck Speakeasy. We'll be creating more playlists as the year goes on, but our outro music playlist will be an ever-growing playlist. It won't be in any particular order of the episodes either. But yeah, give us a follow. Obviously, give us a shout-out on Twitter. Follow us at Canuck Speak. And you can follow me at Pete underscore Gas. And myself at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And yeah, that playlist, you get funky tracks like this. It's a nice little uh, drive to work. Or I think we'll have to put it on loop in the office tomorrow and see if we can drive anyone crazy. I think we've already been driving enough people crazy with all our Canucks talk. We should do an interview some of the people in the office and uh, see what they think of our podcast and us talking hockey all the time. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be down too. That'd be some good venting. Uh, well, until next time, there's four games between now and the next time we record. We got the Blues... Blackhawks, the Jets, and the Devils. And uh, I think, man, this is going to be a really telling week for the Canucks as we get into November. This is a big month. Got to put your... Got to support the team. Got to support the team. It's a letter D. Not that team. We're, we're, we're cheering against the boys. All right. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Thank you.